Are you a sneakerhead? A baller? Want to know about the hottest brands you can lace up and run with? Well, get ready, because we got all the details right here. It's Kicks and Bricks, where we got game on the streets and on the court. Here's your host, Jamel Cutler. make it nice and neat. This episode of Kicks and Bricks is brought to you by Troy Barbershop, located at 820 Wyckoff Avenue, Brooklyn, New York. Troy is a master celebrity barber with over 25 years experience. He has given all of your favorites cuts, ranging from rappers to athletes. You have to be Boston, no matter what. That's the tradition in Los Angeles, to be Boston. Troy's Barbershop. Come get fresh. Welcome to another edition of Kicks and Bricks. Today we have one of the all-time NBA great, former Phoenix Sun, former New York Nick, Amare Stoudemire. What up, champ? Like, your basketball journey was different from others. Like, you were like a late bloomer when it came to organized ball. Like, and in a four-year span, you went from, like, from playing high school to basically in the NBA, like, what was your rise like on the Florida basketball circuit? When I first started playing basketball, man, I didn't even know there was this ranking situation. You know, I had no idea about that at all. And then once I started playing, I went to my first major tournament, I think in Virginia, and I had a crazy tournament, right? And then after that, I began to be like top 100 player in the state, you know what I'm saying? And then, Year after year, I got better and better. And I went from being like top 100 state to top 25 in the country, and then to like number one in the country. All happened within like a year and a half span. It was crazy, crazy momentum. So like Florida is a football state. Like, um, was it harder for you to like get ranked like in the top 100 during your high school days? No, you know, for me it wasn't. Uh, you know, because I, I hit the scene rapidly, you know what I'm saying? And my style of play at the time was very dominant. You know, my, you know, I was dominating every single tournament, every game. Um, I was a no smile kind of guy, you know what I'm saying? I was fresh out, I was fresh out of Lake Wales, man. And I had, you know, half Afro, half locks. I wasn't smiling much. Sometimes I had my cornrows, you know what I'm saying? I was straight. I was, I was hitting the rim every chance I get. I was, you know what I'm saying? So. My style was very dominant. And I think I think word of mouth got around pretty quick. And that's when that's when everyone started to you know realize that, you know, I was here. So like during your senior year, like you were I think you were ranked like three. I'm not sure about the exact number, but like um but I think you were ranked with like Lenny Cook and Mello and like Raymond Felton and those guys, um and like during like the O two McDonald's all American game, you was like teammates with Melo and Raymond Felton, like, and eventually they were teammates with you on the Knicks. Like, can you almost say like you were destined to like be a Knick? Like even going to like, back then? 
Yes, it seemed, it seemed like it, man, because, you know, playing in the garden back then was special for us because we were high school kids, you know what I'm saying? We were playing the McDonald's All-American game at Madison Square Garden. It was a beautiful feeling for us. We were like, you know, you know, kids with our eyes like this, like, man, we're in New York, baby. This is amazing. We, you know, we loving it. And with me, Melo, and Ray, all three of us were already, like, excited about being the best that we can be as players. We felt like we were the best in the, in, in, in the world at the time and for that age. Um, and then eventually play for the Knicks as, as a group was a special moment for all three of us. So, like, um, also during your high school career, like, you was kind of um, – I, like, I think um, Darius Washington, I think he was in that age group with you. Like, um, like what like what type of player, like, do you remember him being? Because I think he was, like, such an underrated player that kind of never made it in the league. Yeah, D. Wash was cold, man. He was he was a good player. You know what I'm saying? He was, like, um, he was a year or two younger than I was. So I was, you know, I kind of brought him in to the organization, to the team, and kind of schooled him on a few things as far as, like, like follow my lead type of type of big brother approach. But uh but yeah, D Wash was always cold, man. Yeah, he had a game where he was very athletic, he was quick with the handle. His change of direction was awesome. He was able to make plays and he made the big shots down the stretch. You know, I think he had a chance to make the NBA, but I, obviously his career took a different route. Right. And um obviously you went to the NBA straight out of high school. Like what were like some of the factors that played into your decision to go pro? I mean, I was just, I was ready for pro, man. I was ready for it. You know what I'm saying? I had prepared myself for it. I was training myself. I, I was mentally already in the pros. You like, know what I'm saying? Like, and who were some of the guys that you scrimmaged against in some of, like, your pre-draft workouts? The pre-draft workouts, I worked out with, um, I had one workout in Houston with, with, with Tayshawn Prince, Drew Gooden, uh, a few of the guys in Houston. I, know, I didn't have too many pre-draft workouts because I kind of knew where I wanted to go. I worked out in Phoenix twice. Um, I, had an epic, I had two epic workouts in Phoenix. I worked out with Orlando uh, because I, you know, obviously being graduated from high school from Orlando, it was a chance for me to play for the Magic. Uh, so I worked out for them. And and I think you, I think it was Denver I worked out for, but that was it, man. I worked out for too many teams. And every workout went great. Every, every single one of them went great. Like, did you have a problem, like, adjusting to, like, the NBA game and, like, the NBA lingo since you didn't go to college or um, play very long up until that point? Yeah, it was tough at first because I, I didn't know a lot of the terminologies, man. You know, a lot of the terminologies the NBA uses was different. You know, I was trying to figure that out. Um, obviously, the game, the speed of the game was, was crazy. Um, and then also the traveling and just, just being somewhat, a, a, you know, a, a mature adult. At 18, 19 years old was a um, you know a, a change of events for me. But after a while, once I once I sat down with the coaching staff and the management and the players, and I started building team, you know, building my teammates, just communicating with them, start learning how how the game is played. Then I start realizing, wait, hold on, it's not that, it's not that bad, it's not that difficult. And then that's when I went on to go and get that rookie of the year trophy. So like during like your rookie year in Phoenix, you played with um, Penny Hardaway, Steve Nash, um, Joe Johnson, I think was on that team. Um, what was it like learning from those guys, especially guys like Steve Nash and Penny Hardaway? Yeah, my rookie year, Nash wasn't there. Nash, oh, right, Nash right. Was right, it was on Marbury, yeah. Marbury, it was Penny Hardaway, 
Uh, and those two guys are the guys I kind of talk to the most besides the fact that I played with Joe Johnson and, 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 and Alton Ford. These guys were my age, so we hung out together, you know what I'm saying? But as far as mentoring-wise, it was Tom Gugliotta. I spent time with Tom Googs. Uh, spent time with Penny. Uh, and I spent time with, uh, with, with Steph. And those are my guys I gravitated too far as like trying to develop knowledge of the game and figure out how this game is played. Like, what was it like, like um, being around Penny? Because you're from Florida and you've seen Penny at, um, at his apex with Orlando. Like, that had to have been like, a, like one of the best experiences of, of your career, like I would think. Yeah, for sure, man, no doubt. When I, when, I was grew, when I was growing up in Orlando, man, I saw Penny and Shaq playing. It was like, man, these, these dudes right here is something else, man. The way Penny was diving the rocks, Shaq hitting the rim. You know what I'm saying? Everybody everybody was like, you know, Magic next next championship team. They went to the finals that, that one year. They beat the Bulls one year with Mike. MJ returned. It was a crazy, it was a crazy momentum shift in Orlando. Then to play with Penny uh, in Phoenix was was great for me because I was able to now learn from a guy who's who's business savvy. You know, with 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 the Nike contracts that he had and the different situations he was involved in, I was able to I was able to somewhat look at a business structure on how to take care of business off the court. He had his own office. Uh, he was, to, you know, he had his own management, his own, you know, chef. He had his own, you know, particular organization outside of basketball that I was able to learn from. Like one of my favorite moments from your son's days was was your rookie year when you dunked on all over Candy. Like you basically dunked them out the league. And um, just looking at Stephon Marbury's face, man, like that was like one of my first memories of watching you play in the league. Yeah, man, I was young. I was young and at it. I wasn't. I wasn't messing around at all, man. I was going to get straight to it. And so when Steph dropped the pass off, you know, he unfortunately he was the guy that wanted to jump up and block the shot. He was known as a shot blocker. He was a shot blocker, so he wanted to try to block the shot. And so when I saw him, when I saw him in the lane, I'm like, listen, I ain't not stopping this one. Feel me? So, man, you know, unfortunately, man, his career kind of went somewhat, um, took off, took kind of a different route from there. But, you know, he, he definitely tried to uh, make the right play for his team. What was it like having Steph, um, Stephon as a teammate? I mean, I enjoyed playing with Steph, man. I, I really did. I really did. I had a good time playing with Steph. You know, Steph was always there for me. He always showed up at the parties and I had, whenever I had like a, a birthday party, something, or a gathering, or a barbecue at the house with the family over. You know, my family was always excited to see see Steph. Um, he was always like very, um, you know, articulate when it comes to like different ways to handle your business off the court. Uh, he would take me around, show me around. We got to New York. Uh, he showed me, you know, all the different spots. Linked me up with Fat Joe and the crew, and I was hanging out with them at the Rucker. You know what I'm saying? So I was like, you know, I was starting to, you know, get myself you know, familiar with uh, New York even then through the, through the lens of Stefan. And uh, it, it was it was fun playing with Steph, man. Man, give me like your best Fat Joe story that you never tell nobody. Man, I was, I pulled, I pulled up, I pulled up New York one time, man. Joe, Joe, Joe and Terra Squad pulled up in the Phantoms, that back-to-back Phantoms. They scooped me up from the hotel and we went straight to the Rucker, baby, and got busy. It was a crazy moment, man. Rucker was packed. It was like, man, 300, 400 people out there standing up on the on the bleachers, on the walls, on the buildings. It was crazy. It was a crazy moment. I, mean, I never experienced that before, but that was fun. Was that the blackout year? That was a blackout year. Right. So like um so kind of fast forward into like two thousand five, like Mike D'Antoni, he kinda 
like has the rings now and like that 05 Suns I think is like one of the greatest teams in history. Do you feel like that style of play like kind of preluded to how the league is played today? Yeah, I think so. I truly think so. I think the league is playing in a way now that, you know, we started back in Phoenix. Um, obviously, you know, a lot of times playing that way, you have to you have to find a strong foundation defensively, which we wasn't quite able to figure out. And same with the Houston Rockets right now. They're not, they wasn't quite able to figure that out defensively. But I think uh, offensively, we definitely changed the game. The game is definitely going to more of a stretch, four or five positioning. Uh, every player can pretty much be versatile on the court. And that's something that we started back in Phoenix. Right. And Mike, he's playing like micro ball now. Like, I really think that that style can work eventually. And then like, like if it's not Mike, I think somebody's going to win a championship playing that way. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the uh, Golden State Warriors have done it. Obviously they have like amazing talent, but those guys would go to state were the guys who pretty much manifest the style that we started in Phoenix. You know, they went for, they went from playing, um, you know, the way we did and then implemented that. Steve Kerr obviously implemented his own teaching philosophy, but uh, but they definitely were able to, to be the quintessential uh, transformation of the team that we had in Phoenix. Right, and I think like the 07 Suns could have won it all if it wasn't for that hip check, man. Like, do you feel it's kind of like the same way? Yeah, I for sure feel that way, man. I was out here. That was definitely out here. Um, you know, so when, when, when Robert Hoare gave the little hip check to the, to the Steve Nash, you know, boys and I, we didn't know what the rules were as far as like, you can't walk on the court. You know, we had no idea. And then for the lead to come down with such a hard, you know, punishment, we felt like that was unfair to us. You know, we could have got a warning, you know, and everyone would have accepted that. But unfortunately, um, you know, they made the wrong decision by, by, by not allowing us to play for game six. Man, it would have been crazy, like, seeing you guys play up, play up against the Cavs. Like, I think, like, you guys really – are the like the uncrowned champs from um, 2007, man. So like kind of fast forward like to um, 2010, like what kind of made you pick the Knicks out of um, the rest of the free agent pool? Well, you know me, I was raised in New York. I was raised in New York, man. I spent like eight years in my child years in New York. And plus um, I always wanted to somewhat play for the Knicks. I was going to play in New York, you know what I'm saying? So when I, situation uh, occurred with Phoenix. I wanted to resign with Phoenix. I wanted to continue to play there and try to win a championship in Phoenix. That was the ultimate goal for me. That was my main objective uh, was to play in Phoenix and continue my career and stay there for my entire career if possible. But I was hearing so many trade rumors before that. Wasn't totally sure about what the organization wanted to do with me. Um, and so I wasn't going to stick around and be kind of like a guy who just, you know, get shift to a team that's not, you know, not where I want to go. And so I, I, I put matters in my own hands and I was able to somewhat uh, enter free agency that summer. And when uh, when the Knicks opportunity occurred, I was familiar with a few guys on the staff. I was familiar with uh, Mike D'Antoni, the head coach. Uh, I was familiar with a few of the assistant coaches and I knew their style. I knew it would be a good fit if I did go to New York. Um, and so that's what happened. Like, and, and how did it feel to like be reunited with, um, with Melo and and Raymond Felton on a on a professional level. Man, that was amazing, bro. I had so much fun, man. Tell you, I had the time of my life playing with Melo, playing with Ray. You know, Melo's a player, man, offensively, man. He's unstoppable, man. Can nobody check Melo offensively? 
and to have that type of threat on our team was 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 great to have to watch him perform to watch him train uh and, and watch what he does uh, from a basketball standpoint was fun and then also off the court we you know obviously we were you know we were teammates in high school and so forth and so on and then having ray also man ray was a bowling ball out there you know what i'm saying he gets straight to the point you know what i mean point guard get everybody involved knock down the open shot and then for me you know obviously i was just doing what i do but you know it was definitely a fun opportunity for me to be a part of that group and then like a few years a few seasons later you guys added um Tyson Chandler and then J.R. Smith, like I really felt like the 2013 Knicks were like, were like the best like team in New York since like '99. Yeah, man, that team that that team was incredible. You know, we had we had we had we brought in a nice mix of veteran players. Uh, we brought in J.R. Smith. We brought in Tyson Chandler. We brought in Jason Kidd. Oh, yeah, I forgot um, about him. Yeah. I mean, we, we had we had some veteran guys too, which with Kurt Thomas and, and Rasheed Wallace, and we had a nice nucleus of guys uh, that knew how to play the game of basketball. You know, I think if we would have just kind of somewhat stuck with that type of regime, we, we would have made some noise. Uh, but unfortunately, man, we didn't, we didn't get a chance to go too much too far too too much further in the playoffs. All right, give me your best Jr. story from that time. Man, you know, I, you know, my, my, my thing about Jr. is that you know he was a guy who comes in, and you never know what you're gonna get really. But when it comes down to playing basketball, you know, Swiss is always ready to play. You know, what I'm saying he's your best, he's your, he's, he's your best teammate. He's positive, he's encouraging. He always gonna keep you motivated to wanna, you know, what I'm saying keep going. He looked for you on the basketball court, even though he's a scoring first kind of guy, but he still wanna get his teammates involved. He liked to have fun out there on the court, man. And I had a great, I had a great time playing with Swiss. Right, and um, during that time, like I kind of felt that Melo was kind of like unfairly scapegoated, and then like that kind of like led to all the trade rumors, and then eventually he got traded, just like Patrick Ewing before him. So like, yeah, man. Yeah. New York, man. You know, New York, man. It's you know, it's so it's so tough because if you don't if you don't win properly, then a lot of a lot of um, speculations happens. And so when that happens, man, you know, it, it begins to become a lot of turmoil and it gets a little confusing. Um, and so I think that's why a lot of that happens when, when, when that particular situation starts to occur and a lot of, you know, rumors and so forth and going with, with, with trading and all this, it's tough to deal with over time. You, know, you gotta have, you gotta have thick skin, man, in order to deal with the media in New York and you have to be able to win in New York, uh, especially with the Knicks because the Knicks seems to be like New York's team. Even though Brooklyn right now is looking strong, but obviously the Knicks is like New York's team, you know? And so everyone wants them to win. Um, and if it doesn't happen, it becomes becomes an issue. And how you see Steve Nash doing in Brooklyn? Cause like him getting that job was like, well, for me, it was like completely out of left field. Like, and how do you think he would um, do like as a head coach without having any um, coaching experience prior to this? I think it'd be all right, man. I, I think I think I think Nash Nash is a brilliant mind. He knows how to bring the right staffing around. He knows how to you know articulate his 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 learnings uh, within his coaching strategy. I think for him, if if he continues to just you know keep doing that, I mean, I remember Nash when I was playing with in Phoenix. Nash would you know when Mike D'Antoni would draw the play, Nash would grab the pen and make a few adjustments and and, and you know depend on what he sees on the court and make those adjustments. And so at the time as a young player, I'm like, man, I didn't know you can do that. 
take the can out of the coach's hand and just make your own adjustments. But I, but I realized that Nash had his own. Nash is a true point guard. He knows the game. You know, and so I, I figured one day, man, I knew one day that two times I was going to be a, a head coach or something, man, because he always, he thinks about the game all the time. He plays the game all the time. And so uh, I think he'll do a good job me, you know, with Brooklyn. You don't feel like he got the job because of um, because of his race? Because like Stephen A a couple weeks ago, he was saying um, like there were more qualified black coaches that should have got an um, interview or a chance to coach that team like other than Nash. No, I don't think so. I don't think it has anything to do with race at all. Um, it has something to do with the basketball brilliancy of Steve Nash. It has to do also with the friendship that he has with the, uh, the GM, uh, uh, Sean Marks. Those guys are my teammates that I play with also in Phoenix. Um, two, two, two brilliant, brilliant guys. It has, it has zero to do with race. It's a matter of just really being able to try to build an organization that allow them to win. And I, I think that's what, uh, basically what it boils down to. Like, and also, like, the Knicks, like, they basically cleared house and started their culture over. Like, how do you feel? Um, what type of impact do you think Tibbs is going to make on guys like uh, Mitchell Robinson and R.J. Barrett? I think I think Tibbs going to Tibbs going to bring that type of um, tenacity, you know, to the Knicks. You know that that level of focus, the level guys need in order to become great. You know, push them to the level of greatness. And if a player is willing to accept that, and they want to be great within their own rightful self, then they'll be able to accomplish that. You know, players are not willing to be great and not willing to work at it and sacrifice their own time and efforts to become a better player and to be great, then they won't accomplish it. You know, but I think Tim's the guy that's going to actually force the issue and force guys to become much better players. Like OB, um, like OB Tapping, like he's a guy that I feel can like kind of make a major impact with that eighth pick if they decide to go that route. If Lamelo's not there, like um, and I kind of see a lot of like of yourself and him. Do you like have that same comparison? Yeah, I see that. I can see that. I can see that. Big fella, big fella, nice man. He has a great motor. He attacked the rim. You know what I'm saying? He, he, he's a pick and roll guy. He's quick off the feet. He's quick agile, you know, when, when it comes to lateral movement. Uh, he uses speed to get around players. Nice jumper. All those tangibles work well for, for a four man, for a four or five man. And for me, I'm a natural four and I'm sure he is too. Um, so, Anytime I, I'm here, I'm always here for development process, man, to help these young guys out. Uh, I was overseas last year in Israel playing, but now I'm back in the States. So anytime we need, you know, big man development or any guys that need some input or advice on a few things, I'm always here and available to, to help out best way I can. All right. And um, I want to talk about another one of your former teams, like the Suns. Like the past decade has been like brutal to them. But I, but I think that they're coming and like Devin Booker, um, he's on his way to becoming like one of the top three players in the league. Yeah, for sure. I, I hear he definitely has a chance to. Uh, offense, offensively, he's definitely one of the top offensive players in the league. Uh, he scores. He scores at will. He scores easily under control with poise. He's a guy who take care of himself. Uh, I think his dad played professional basketball or something like that, so he knows how to kind of, you know, how to handle the game. Um, and so I think it's definitely a great upsides for Phoenix. Um, I think if, if they get DeAndre Ayton to continue to grow and keep getting better, again, from a development standpoint, if the Suns ever need me to be out there to help out with that, you know, I'm always here for that as well. But I do think that uh, the Phoenix is definitely on the rise. Like, 
like you made a good point like kind of helping out the younger guys like i can like i can see you like in a sham god role role for a team like helping out all the young big men like sham god does does for dallas for the guards like i can really see you doing that yeah man i mean listen these bigs need it man it's, it's a lot it's a lot to go into the game of basketball from a mental standpoint on how to approach the game and get the best out of it how to be how to be an elite player and not only athletically, but also, you know, nutrition-wise, how to take care of your body, your weight training, your scheduling, you know what I'm saying, how to keep your mind strong. All these things are very, very imperative for a player to have a longevity career. Listen, this is my, I'm going into my 19th professional basketball career if I decide to play next year. You know what I'm saying? So in order to keep it a longevity, you got to have, you got to have a lot of, of, of information in order to make that happen. And before I let you go, Amari, I have to ask you, do you still take the wine baths? <laughs> Yo, listen, man. I take the wine bath only when I'm in New York, baby. Only, only when I'm in New York, man. I go to my nice little spa area and I kick back and relax, kid. Like, like, what is it like? Do you act so? It's really just wine in a tub, like. <laughs> yeah, man. It's wine. It's wine in the tub, big dog. You know what I'm saying? It's like half. It's like uh, half water, half wine. It's hot. It's like you know, like ninety some degrees or something, like hundred degrees maybe, if that. Not even that hot. But you sit down like a hot tub. You sit down, vibe and chill, check your emails, and they bring you actually a, a glass of wine, and they also bring some cold water to sit back and relax, bro. It's relaxing, man. How did you like discover that? Because because like that wine bath was like the first time like I ever heard of that. Yeah, a female friend put me on to it, man. Um, she she got me a gift for my birthday. And um, I ain't know what that was. I'm, like, I'm not going to know what that was. Are you kidding me? Uh, <laughs> but I ended up going and I took a little selfie. I took the selfie when I was in there. And then once I took the selfie, it became viral. All right, man. So, um, so thank you for your time, man. I really did enjoy speaking with you today. All right, brother. Yeah, no doubt, man. Good talking to you. Thank you.